It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 6, 2015. We're glad to be with you tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Sorry I missed out last week. Sounded like a great program last week. Glad to have you back. Looking forward to a discussion tonight. Yeah, glad to have you back tonight. You were in Missouri last week, and uh, we look forward to the discussion tonight. Thank you for joining us on the other end of the line, whether you're listening to us live or you're listening to us in the recorded version. We welcome you, and we welcome your comments, whether live or in the recording, at questions at collegeview.com, 877-381-4567 is the toll-free line. And the chat window to the bottom of your video feed, if you're watching us live, is open for your comments as well as we want to address some claims that have been made about us recently. Yeah, before we get to our topic, though, Jacob, let me just, let's do a little uh, housekeeping here. Uh, we've had we've had some unanticipated technical difficulties recently, and we've had to do some workarounds on both our video stream that you should be seeing tonight. We hope it's working properly. We've had some real issues. I spent a lot of hours on it this week trying to make it right. And I'm not sure it's exactly right yet. So if you can give us some feedback, if you're, especially if you're on an Android device and you're trying to watch it, uh, I'd really like to hear back from you and make sure it's working all right for you. If you're on a, uh, iOS, uh, oh, well, uh, machine, tell yeah. us, uh, if you got a, a Apple smartphone, tell us, you know, we just like some feedback. What you listening on and how's it working for you? Okay. Then yeah. also, We've been getting a lot of bounced back email when we send out our updates. Yes. Uh, apparently, over time, as much email as we send out, if people just casually mark us as spam, that that number starts adding up. And if we get if we get a high enough number uh, being reported as spam, then those servers start rejecting us. And okay. so we think that may be what has happened over time because we've been doing this for a long time. By the way, I missed the 10-year anniversary program. Yeah, it was great. So uh, we're into our 11th year of the Virtual Bible yeah. Study. We missed but the cake. We had cake and strings. Did you and all really? That. Yeah. Oh, man. That's great. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm trying a new email uh, forwarding method, uh, and uh, you probably could detect maybe if you're perceptive a little difference in the format when our update came out. Uh, so I guess you need to hear from people, too, if yeah, that's not yeah. coming through right Yeah, now. let us know if you did or did not get our update and how it's working for you. All so right. we, we, we appreciate your feedback on those things. and uh, uh, We help just appreciate us. your feedback in general. Period. That's right, yeah. And we got some feedback uh, recently. Uh, yeah, we got it. This is what prompted us yeah. for our topic tonight, and, and you'll see what we want to deal with tonight from this very brief email from a listener in Ohio uh, who said, Please remove me from this group. I have never seen a bigger bunch of legalists. Maybe you should ask yourself what the Bible has to say concerning the use of Twitter, Facebook, and live chat rooms. Yeah. And so 
He says we are the biggest bunch of legalists he's ever seen, and he thinks we are being inconsistent right. to use the Internet and, and various media on the Internet because I suppose he thinks the Bible doesn't say that literally, and therefore we can't legalistically, we shouldn't use what the Bible doesn't specifically enumerate as a means of getting the word out. Not the first time that we've been called a legalist. Oh, no. It won't be the last. And many of our listeners have probably been called the same. And so we wanted to talk about that tonight because it is a common uh, common claim. And uh, and so we need to understand what that's about. Yeah. And also, um, uh, just just for the record, uh, I contacted or I replied mailed to this listener in Ohio and asked him uh, if he'd like to join us to discuss that because we think that's a very serious charge to throw out at us and and we hoped that he would would join us on the virtual Bible study for a congenial discussion of what he thinks is wrong with the approach we're using. And silent as the tomb, no response. Yeah. So. I want to tell you, this is this is increasingly disturbing to me. People throw out charges like that and then won't do anything to follow it up. You know, if if we are, I know we're not looking for a fight. We just want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah you know, but if I just if if I accuse you of some sin and then just say, but I'm not talking about it or walk away from it, what's the value of that? Where you know, how does that help anything really? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, uh, we, we take it very seriously to be yeah. caught, charged as legalist and. We'd like to know why just, and give us give us some feedback as to why you think that's what we're doing. And, and let's discuss it in a very calm, congenial and way. And we've been doing this for 10 years, and we've never been ugly with anyone. Yeah. So if you think that we're wrong, just come and talk to us about that so we can get a better understanding of where you're coming from. You can get a better understanding of where we're coming from. Yeah. Don't just don't just throw a bomb and walk away. Yeah, uh, that's sort of what it is, sort of throwing a bomb. So okay. anyway. We want to talk about legalism tonight, and we want to know what people mean when they call us that, and then we want to know what the Bible says. You know, uh, are, are we wrong if we tell some people they should obey specifics of God's word? Are we wrong to encourage strict obedience to the will of God? Yeah. Uh, that's what we want to ask. All right. So to our update list today, and again, via a new emailing method, uh, we sent out this update. And we ask these questions that we'd like to try to cover in our discussion. Number one, what do people typically mean when they say that someone is a legalist or some group is legalistic? Mm-hmm. All right. So what, what do they mean by that accusation? Number two, Jesus frequently condemned the Pharisees. What was the basis for his condemnation of that sect? Was their problem the strict observance of the law of Moses? Yes. Number three, how are we to manifest our love for the Lord today? That's a pretty obvious loaded question there. Number four, how do you explain 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6? God made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That's a favorite verse of those who say that a legalistic approach to the scriptures is wrong. In other words, the idea is we're we're wrong to follow the letter of the law. We should just uh, engage in in the spirit of Yes. Things. Yes. We'll talk about that. And then I found an article on the Internet. This guy has not corresponded with us, but he has an article uh, on the Christian uh, on a on a blog post at, at Christian Post. The guy's name is Greg Steyer, and he wrote an article entitled How You Spot a Legalist. Yeah. And he gave several things. I, some of them I didn't even understand what he meant, so I didn't include them. But he's got what do we got here? Uh, uh, six things that he says 
demonstrate someone as being a legalist. We'll get to that at the end of the program. We won't read those right now, but we'll get to that at the end of the program. All right. We'll look forward to your thoughts as well. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We need to define this term legalist because you can't read it in your Bible. We don't have that term anywhere. You know, as, as often as it is thrown about, you think you would see some condemnation of uh, all legalists will not have uh, will have their part in the lake with which burn of fire and brimstone. Don't read that in the Bible. Now, maybe some of the concepts are that these people may imply are in the Bible, but uh, the term legalist is simply not anywhere in the New Testament. Yeah, I think that's right. So what you know what I had to do? You know, it's a pretty bad fallback when you have to do this. I had to go to Wikipedia to get a definition because I can't find a Bible definition. Of okay, that. all right. So I went I went to Wikipedia for a definition. And they had a whole long thing on Wikipedia about legalism. Uh, they say legalism is legalism in the realm of theology is emphasizing the letter of the law at the expense of the spirit. Any view that obedience to law, not faith in God's grace, is the preeminent principle of redemption. So now get that again. Again, we're going to talk about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, but here. They said legalism is any view. In other words, anybody who holds the view that obedience to law is the preeminent principle of redemption rather than faith in God's grace. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, they go on. It's a really long thing. I just highlighted some of this. They say it is the belief that salvation can be earned okay. by obedience to laws. Okay. Legalism refers to any doctrine which states salvation comes strictly from adherence to the law. It can be thought of as a works-based religion. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's what Wikipedia says legalism is, and we want to address that. We want to see if that is, uh, first of all, uh, is that what we're doing, and then is it wrong? To do that, let us know your thoughts again in the chat room or over email tonight. Jim in Kentucky says, when people call someone a legalist, they mean someone who speaks of having to obey a law. Typically, means one who is condemned for teaching we must do something to remain saved. To be saved, I would add to Jim's comment. They typically mean someone who says there's something you have to do to be saved and to remain saved. They would call any person who teaches that a legalist. All right. You know, it's it's one of those ambiguous terms, sort of like the term cult. You know, it's someone that you, you disagree with. It's one of those easy terms to throw around because it's somewhat ambiguous. And it usually does, as Jim mentioned, uh, mentioned it does typically uh, follow when we stress certain things that have to be obeyed. So you have to do something. you got to obey that. You, you can't do it. Well, you're just a legalist. Now, there, there are lots of things. Right. That, or even maybe a little more specific, you have to do it, and you have to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are lots of things that these so-called people who say they're not legalist would agree with us on. When we say you've got to abstain from lying in order to be pleasing to God, you've got to do that. You cannot lie if you want to go to heaven. Or you cannot be a murderer or an adulterer. Yeah, that, they that, have they, their they, list no, of things. No problem with that. They have their list of things that's nope. okay to teach. No problem with that. Yeah. But when we say you've got to be baptized in order to be saved, go to heaven. That's legalist. You're a legalist. Yeah. Or if we say you can't worship God in an unauthorized way, just any way you please, you're being a legalist. You better cut that out. Well, what's the difference? Yeah. Where yeah. do you draw that line? Yeah. Once we once we decide not to draw the line specifically where the Bible does, 
it just becomes subjective then. Right. It's just your opinion versus somebody else's and opinion. And so a way that I, that the way that they discount that is I, uh, just to just if, ignore if I don't, it. In other words, if I think you're stressing something that I don't like, I just say, well, you're, you're an illegal. illegalist. You're just a legalist. Yeah, just take that off the table because you're being a legalist. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it is sort of a cop-out, basically, yeah. is what yeah. you're saying. Uh, Chris in the U.K. has sent in, uh, not in answer to any specific question, but he, he asked an interesting question. Uh, the church means, in Greek, the called-out ones, and its members are referred to as saints, so are made holy or set apart. If we are like the world, how are we called out of it or individually set apart from them? Entrance is made by repentance and faith. And in your view, he goes on to say manifested through baptism. How do you know you need repentance if you never told what is wrong in your life and needs you turning back on? How could you repent? How are we to believe if we're not taught by correct, correcting, by correct sound biblical teaching? Also, what does your baptism mean if it can be done in whatever manner you see fit or for whatever reason you see fit to achieve whatever you see fit? Moral relativism just makes me think of the statement repeated many times in Judges. They all did what was right in their own eyes and led to the detestable practices in the final chapters. People who don't stand for something stand for nothing and let anything go. So that's uh, Chris's comments just sort of, sort of generally toward the uh, – anti-legalistic crowd, but he's basically asking some questions there that I don't think they'd be able to answer. All right. Thank you, Chris, for those comments tonight. And uh, then we had one email from uh, uh, Tim who asked, what about when people accuse someone of being an anti? Is that so similar to a legalistic claim? Uh, th- that expression. Oh, that was a man. That's a pretty good spider right yeah, there. Yeah, right. Uh, People who uh, use uh, who who ascribe some as antis, it, that would be in regards to questions about how the church does its work. Yeah, uh, and and I, I suspect that those who would call someone an anti also think that that person who's an anti is an extreme legalist, probably. But that expression has specifically, historically, specifically dealt with those who have questions about how the church is to be organized and how it's to do its work. Okay. All right, let's uh, let's get a break. When we get back, we need to get into the condemnation of the Pharisees. Jesus condemned the Pharisees. A lot of people want to link legalism with the condemnation of the Pharisees, and perhaps they were legalistic in one definition of the term. But uh, are we being the same when we say that we've got to follow the instructions of the Bible? We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. And hopefully get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. You are free to choose what you surrender to, but you are not free from the consequences of that choice. Past hurts can make you bitter or better. The choice is yours. You can only serve one master, and you need to decide who it's going to be. Christ doesn't want a place in your life. He wants it all. 
Man, wish I had said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight, and uh, we did fail to mention Anthony when we got started. Anthony's here tonight. Anthony, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. You ever been called a legalist? Uh, not to not, not to your face, to my face, or directly that I know of. Well, thankfully, well, we don't want to be uh, we don't want to be wrong, and so we do. If if there is a um, if there is someone who wants to lodge a complaint, we want to hear it, uh, and we want to consider it carefully. Uh, but uh, so far, we have not found anything that would uh, say that we shouldn't demand, that we should be following what Jesus has said and what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, in the chat room, guest 6820 says, Galatians 6.2 says we are under a law. And that's what most people don't understand. And he goes on to say, it, when you go against their belief, that's when they want to call you a legalist. And okay. I think he's right about that. All right. Uh, join in the, with other listeners tonight in the chat room. Thank you, guest 6820. All right, let's go to a second question here. Legalism is associated with the Pharisees. Most people, when you, if you were to throw both those terms out, is someone is a legalist, someone is being like the Pharisees. Synonymous. They would say that is synonymous. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody knows that Jesus always had hard words for the Pharisees. I mean, he was very strong in condemning the Pharisees. Yes. So... It's assumed that the Pharisees were legalists. Jesus condemned the Pharisees. Therefore, Jesus condemns this so-called legalistic approach to Scripture. You see how they build that that uh, argument? Yes. Okay. Now, so we ask the question, uh, what was the basis for Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees? Uh, I think really a great passage to deal with that is Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23... Jesus engages in a long essay condemning the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, he says uh, in verse 4, 23, really the whole chapter goes in that direction, or at least the, the first two-thirds of the chapter. He says, they bind heavy burdens, verse 4, grievous to be borne. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. All their works they do to be seen of men. And he goes on, just a, a number of things they do. Scathing. Really a strongly scathing condemnation of the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites over and over again in the context. Uh, near the end of that, in verse 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outward appear righteous to men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And he just keeps on going. I mean, strong words for sure. Okay, now, in this most thorough essay against the Pharisees that Jesus ever uttered, we would imagine if the big problem with them was legalism. No, again, if legalism is insisting on strict obedience to the law, you would think that in this discourse, Jesus would surely include that as one of the things he held against uh, the Pharisees. But notice Back up to verse 23. This is Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Uh, the law of Moses said, when you, t- when you make gain, uh, uh, specifically when you harvest a crop, what they were to do is pay a tithe under the law of Moses. And so if you 
harvested 100 bushels of corn from your field, you should give 10 bushels of corn uh, to the Lord. That was the tithe. Got it. Everybody understood that. But notice that what the, the crops he's mentioning here. He says you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. Mint, anise, and cumin are garden herbs. A, a handful might be a total crop for a year. You don't need much of that stuff. Just a little will go a long, long way. So you don't plant 100 acres of these. You just plant a little bit in your window box or in your herb garden. And a handful might be your total harvest for the year. But these Pharisees were so strict about observing the tithing law, they would divide that handful of garden herb into 10 parts and they'd give a a tenth to the Lord. I don't tell you. That's strict adherence to the law. Uh, and and if Jesus was against that strict adherence to the law, you would have thought he would say, come on, man. Being you're, you're being legalistic. Don't worry about the garden herbs for crying out loud. You can forget about that. You're, just, you're overstressing on the law. Forget the law. But that's not what he said. Notice what he said. The problem was, he says, you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These you ought to do and not to leave the other undone. The other was paying a tithe of the garden herbs. He says, your problem is you've, you, you've, you've, you haven't addressed the, the issues of the heart. Uh, judgment, mercy, and faith, those are matters of the heart. And the Pharisees neglected their, their heartfelt service to God completely. It was all outward show and hypocrisy. And that's what he was condemning. But notice he did not condemn them for tithing their garden herbs. He said, you ought to do that. That's right to do. But get your hearts right, too. Quit playing the hypocrite. And the guest 6820 in the chat room adds uh, Mark 7, verses 6 and 7. And 6820 says, the Pharisees followed doctrines, the commandments of men. That's why Jesus rebuked them. Just like the ones that call us Pharisees, they follow men. Mark 7, beginning verse 6, and he answered and said unto them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, that's a problem. When you're making your own laws they did and do your that own too. rules, then that's a problem. That's right. But demanding that you follow God's rules and God's laws is not a problem. In fact, it's what God demands. So Jesus never condemned the Pharisees for strictly insisting that God's law be kept. He did condemn them for for hatching a bunch of their own rules. You know, they had rules about hand washing and they had all they had no, all that's kinds wrong. they had all kinds of extra rules that they had added. You can't do that. But in regards to things that the Lord has commanded, you are not wrong to stress obeying that. And uh, that's something we need to be aware of today. If you're making your own rules, maybe rules that you think are good and proper, Anthony, if uh, if we, I mean, there may be things that we do in our lives that we do because of uh, of sound reasoning and judgment. You and I were talking before the program. You and I both don't have a television in our house. We do that for religious reasons, obviously, and we do it based on sound judgment. But if I were to say Christians can't have televisions in their home, then that's where I'd be getting into the Pharisees' condemnation here. Right? Yeah, that would be a human, you know, a human command. The Bible doesn't condemn that uh, in and of itself. So absolutely, yeah. All right. Our, our friend Steve Klein, I found an article by him. He's been on the virtual Bible study with us in the past. And he wrote, uh, the the apostles and prophets of Christ were teaching Jewish Christians that they could not rely on their obedience to the law of Moses for salvation. Uh, 
we're going to talk about the difference between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. That's part of the issue at hand. A lot of times when people say, well, the Bible says no, uh, you know, that you, you're not justified by the law. With, a lot of times they don't understand it's talking about the law of Moses, not the law of Christ. Right. Uh, but I thought this was interesting the way Steve put this. Even the hair-splitting, herb-tithing, commandment-keeping Pharisees were not condemned for keeping God's commandments too well. They were condemned for keeping the small requirements while living off the big ones. Jesus told them that they should have kept both. And he references Matthew 23, 23 that we were just uh, looking at. All right. Appreciate uh, those comments from uh, from Steve and his article there. Uh, Josh and Kristen are in the chat room tonight in, in reference Matthew 23, verse 3. Jesus even mentioned that the multitude should listen to the Pharisees when they were teaching God's whole truth. The problem it was that the Pharisees went into following man's doctrine. Appreciate that uh, comment uh, they, yeah, Jesus told them that they should follow what the, the Pharisees were teaching them, do what they did, uh, what they instructed them to do, but don't do as they were doing. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 3, uh, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not according to their works, for they say and do not. So the Pharisees weren't condemned for demanding strict adherence of the law. They were condemned because they were not following themselves. And we have a lot of wheelers in the ch- in the chat room tonight, and David, appreciate you all being here. David said the alternative to being legalistic is to be illegalistic, if that is a word. <laughs> I think that may be right. I mean, yeah. So what's the the what are we to say then? It doesn't matter if you follow God's instructions. Again, we're not saying that you're going to earn your salvation by following these instructions. You're going to merit it. But are we are we to conclude by those who claim that we're legalistic that well it doesn't matter? That that you don't have to do anything. I that mean, that would be, that'd be the, the opposite of saying you have to do something. The, the opposite of that you don't have to do anything. Uh, and, I don't, you know, truth be known, I don't think there's anybody who I, – I suppose a, a really true, ardent universalist would say you don't have to do anything. But there are very few people in the, in, the, in the religious world who identify themselves as Christians who would argue that there's nothing you have to do, no rules you have to obey. But as you said earlier, Jacob, if you acknowledge that there's any rule, even one, that you have to do, if there's any rule that says you can't do this or that, and you acknowledge that rule, when you acknowledge the first rule, you have given up your position on legalism. That brought to mind 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 gives us a definition of sin. And again, if this idea of legalism is condemned, that is that you don't have to follow law. And those who would say that you've got to be observing the instructions that God has given us and demanding that we observe and keep the instructions that God has given us. Those who would say that's a bad idea have to ju- clarify this and harmonize it with 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. If there's not a law that we have to keep, then there is no sin. Are we ready to say that there is no sin? Are those who want to condemn us for being what they call legalistic, are they ready to say there's no sin in the world because it doesn't matter? And if you're demanding that we follow a, a law, if you're demanding that we follow God's instructions, you're a legalist, then how do you harmonize that with First John chapter 3, verse right. 4? Jim in the chat room says the Pharisees were condemned by Jesus because they were hypocrites. They would bind the old law and others, but they excused themselves. That was a big problem. The hypocrisy was the big problem. But the problem was not their insistence on the strict obedience to the law. David concludes, or continues, he says, to call someone a legalist 
or to, uh, to a legalist is simply a method used by liberals that is straight from Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals. Have you seen that book? I've heard of it. He said uh, one of his the first rules is put forth is to label someone. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So, in other words, you discredit them by throwing an ugly label. Yeah, on and it's them. easy to do. We need to be careful of that as well. But sure. it, you've got it. You that's uh, that's a, that's not a, an effective way to discredit what is being taught. Guest sixty eight twenty again says all members of the body of Christ need to remember Luke seventeen verse ten. Luke seventeen verse ten says so. Likewise, you. When you've done all those things which are you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Agree with that, 6820. We're not in any way saying that we need a pat on the back, we need a sticker or uh, some type of high five, or that we merit or earn our salvation by following the instructions that God has given us. All right, I think that's right. Um, maybe we can carry, catch this next question real quickly. So how are we supposed to show our love for the Lord? And I think everybody knows right where we're heading there. Yep. Jim, and, Jim in, in Kentucky references John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, and, and there are a number of quotations by the Apostle John. It's interesting to me, the Apostle John is the Apostle identified as the, the Apostle of love. He wrote about love uh, again and again and again. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And then in chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. And so that just sort of seems to be antithetical to this argument that teaching commandment keeping is a bad thing. You know, John said, keeping commandments is how we show our love for God. So how could that be a bad thing? You know, oh man, I don't want to, I don't want to be labeled a legalist. I don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm pushing commandment keeping. Well, I don't know about others, but for, for my part, you can call me one who stresses commandment keeping if you want to, because I think it's the right thing. Yeah. What, uh, where in the world have we gone astray to say it's bad to encourage other people? To follow what God has said, you know, are we if we are, are we honoring Him, God? Are we saying, God, I want to do everything You said? Or ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, God. I, I think I know it's pretty obvious. You said to do that, but you know, I just didn't want to be a legalist. I figured it didn't really matter. I think it's really obvious that the Scriptures do stress keeping commandments and do stress keeping commandments specifically and accurately. Uh, and so now. We could we could be like the Pharisees in the sense that we be hypocrites that we that we insist on others to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. We could be hypocritical that way, but we're not being hypocritical when we when we say we should keep the commandments. Again, if you're going to say that uh, we're legalistic when we say you've got to do this command, are you legalistic when you say well you've got to abstain from murder, you've got to abstain from adultery? Is that legalistic? If that's not legalistic, then it's not legalistic to demand that we obey in this what you would say so-called the smallest of commandments. I think you're right. Uh, We're going to get a break, get this week's bullet point when we get back. We've got to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. That is a... uh, That's a favorite proof text. It's a favorite text of those who want to call us legalistic. You know, God doesn't care about the letter of the law. He just cares about the spirit. Yeah, the spirit of the law. 
How are we going to detect that spirit of the law? That's what I'd like to know. All right. We're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Uh, The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Does that mean you don't need to be worried about the law? You don't need to be worried about the instructions. Just worry about the spirit. We'll take your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. The Journal of the American Medical Association gave this interesting report. Quote, the hummingbird is the smallest bird on earth. Some species weigh no more than a dime. It has the highest rate of metabolism. At rest, about 50 times faster than man's and thus must consume enormous amounts of nectar to avoid starvation. Not adapted for night feeding, it must stretch its food stores from dusk to dawn. To accomplish this, nature has equipped the hummingbird with a unique energy-saving design, the ability to hibernate overnight. During the night, the hummingbird's metabolic rate is only one-fifteenth as rapid as it is in the daytime, and its body temperature drops to that of the surrounding air. The bird becomes torpid, scarcely able to move. When it does stir, it moves as though congealed. By daybreak, the hummingbird's body spontaneously resumes its normal temperature and high metabolic rate, ready once again to dart off in search of food. The physical world is literally full of amazing examples of design, which the atheist and evolutionist cannot explain. The simple case of the hummingbird is a case in point. Just how did this incredible little creature develop its unique characteristics, which allow it to function so well in this world? Could this have happened by chance? And if it came about by gradual evolution, how did the hummingbird survive over millions of years while this awesome metabolic regulator was evolving? This one simple example is sufficient to illustrate the overwhelming difficulties of the theory of evolution. What we're saying here is that when we see obvious design in anything, a car, a house, or a hummingbird, that design necessarily implies that there is a designer. In the case of the hummingbird and all the rest of physical nature, the designer is Almighty God. Quote, for every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Hebrews 3, verse 4. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three years old, and this is the Burtable Bible Study. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website, as you probably know, is thevirtualbiblestudy.com, but... If you haven't checked it out, you need to today, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and we will point you to the homepage, the main page there, where you can find links to the Community Bible Study for 2014 on homosexuality, 2015 on Islam. You want to check that out. Our friend and listener, Kent, said he was having trouble finding that recent thing on Islam because he, he imagined that we'd have the most recent at the top. At the top instead of at the bottom. He I wasn't think that's probably down. convention. That, I, I probably need to redo that. Yeah. Get the most recent event at the top of the page. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I'll try to redo that. That's, yeah, okay. Well, but it's on there. It's on there. You just have to dig deep yeah. or down. you got to dig down. Uh, well, you check it out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about legalism on the program tonight. It is a uh, claim and a term that is applied uh, when we typically disagree with someone when we command that there or we instruct that there are certain commands in the Bible that need to be observed. Some will say you're just being a legalist. And what about that? We want to answer that question tonight. Okay. So now we want to deal with if there is a verse, you know, we were saying we can't find a verse in the scripture that says legal, being a legalist is condemned or at least being a legalist in the sense of insisting on strict obedience to what God has told us to do. We can't find that condemned. 
Well, the verse that some would throw up to us when we say that is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. God hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, as I said, that's a verse that some would like to jump on. Um, uh, Some will recognize the name Neil Anderson. Uh, He's been associated with some uh, colleges that have connections with churches of Christ. Some of you will notice the, know the name Neil Anderson. He's written a book called Freed from Legalism. He says, stringently striving to obey Christian rules and regulations doesn't enable the spirit-filled walk. It often kills it. And he references 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Then here's, here's another. I found another uh, blog on the Internet. Legalism Kills is the title of it. Uh, it, it's it's at a website called Is the Church of Christ a Cult? And it says legalism kills. The title of this blog post is Legalism Kills, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Yeah. Here's what he says. Paul warned in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, quote, He has made us competent ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So it is better to simply walk in the spirit than to attempt to adhere to some rigid legalistic list of do's and don'ts. Does that mean we do not attempt to be obedient to God's word? Of course not. But what it does mean is if we walk in his spirit, we can also walk in his peace and joy rather than the fear of condemnation. The new covenant is one of grace and mercy, not do's and don'ts. So serve God because you love him rather than in fear of condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, verse 1. Paul probably summed it up best in Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Yeah. This guy is making the big mistake in interpreting both Second Corinthians 3, verse 6 and Galatians 5, verse 1. All right. Well, quickly, he says, you know, don't have to worry about condemnation. Just be at peace. Well, the people in, uh, in Acts... In, in uh, Acts chapter 17, in Athens, they were at peace. In verse 30, Paul says, Truly the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He does. We should worry about condemnation. God d- demands repentance and alignment with his instructions. But the common mistake here is that when people read law, they assume it means any rule. Yeah. That I- anywhere that it says law, that means a rule in general. Yeah, but, and you don't have to worry about any rules in general. But very often the law, when we read about just the law in the New Testament, is talking about the law of Moses. And it absolutely is here in this context. You go on to read verse 7 and it'll exactly. tell you. Exactly. Look at, so, again, this is their proof text. This is the one they really like. As some old debaters used to say, this is their candy stick. I've heard, I've heard debaters through years. This is their candy stick. This is the one they really like. Uh, God has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. What's the letter? Verse 7. But in the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, it says, but if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So we know what the letter was that he says kills, it was the law of Moses. It didn't have anything to do with the rules taught in the New Testament, nothing to do with the commandments we're supposed to keep as Christians. The 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 letter of the law that kills was the law of Moses because it didn't have provisions in it 
for ultimate forgiveness. And that couldn't have been accomplished until Jesus came and died on the cross and established his New Testament will. But, you know, their main verse there, if they would apply it in context, has nothing to do with the accusation that they're leveling against us when they say that we're being sinfully legalistic by insisting on obedience to the New Testament law of Christ. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Again, if the law there in Second Corinthians chapter 3, if that means any instruction and therefore you don't have to be worried about any instruction, then we have no sin, First John chapter 3, verse 4. And, uh, and uh, obviously we can't make that conclusion. So we have to take it in context and find out that it is condemning the law of Moses. This guy on the blog uh, uh, is the Church of Christ occult with his article entitled Legalism Kills. He said, Paul summed it up best in Galatians 5, verse 1, when he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That context is also talking about the law of Moses because he goes right on to talk about those who were insisting on being circumcised. Yeah. Uh, a, a, an ordinance of the law of Moses, not the New Testament law of Christ. And so uh, this Neil Anderson who, who tried to use Second Corinthians 3, 6, uh, and then this guy who uses it and also uses Galatians 5, verse 1, they're both missing the mark entirely because they're, they're misapplying the, the context. The context is talking about the law of Moses. What do you think? 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're going to hear that, that uh, verse referenced numerous times, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 especially, and we need to be prepared to understand the context there. Yeah. Josh um, in the chat room says 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 contrasts the two covenants. Letter describes the old law because it was introduced to men by being engraved on stone. Spirit describes the new covenant because it was introduced by the Holy Spirit and it was written on the hearts of men, 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Exactly right, Josh. The letter kills because it taught about sin and condemned the sinner. The spirit brings life because it teaches the way to salvation. Again, right on. Uh, and then David in the chat room says people have been twisting Paul's writings ever since the first century. References Second Peter three fourteen through 16. I think that's exactly right. They are twisting Paul's statement there, trying to make a point that he was not making. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I appreciate Josh for going back to the to before verse six there and picks up verse three as it does show the contrast between the letter written on the stone versus uh, the spirit written on the heart. Jim in Kentucky says the same thing we're saying. I think exactly right. Paul is speaking of a contrast between the old law and the new covenant. One lives the new covenant not simply by following written rules, but by changing one's life to embrace those commands that Jesus provides. Thank you, right, Jim. All right. Again, if this is not true. Does this mean that no instructions are important, that you can do anything you want and still go to heaven? If it is true, what the le- those who are claiming that we're legalists are, 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 is true, if that's true, then the converse is true, then there is no instruction that we must follow, and that certainly cannot be the case. All right. How uh, to spot a legalist. All right. Let's take our last break, and when we come back from this break, we're going to deal with... Uh, an article by a, a, a bloggist at the Christian Post who says how to spot a legalist. He's very much against legalism, and he's going to tell us how he thinks you can spot a person being wrong and legalistic. All right. We'll find about that on the other side of the break. We'll go to the top of the hour. Get your thoughts in now. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this.
Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. A recent study has said that due to the growth in the smartphone sector, online porn viewing is expected to see an explosion in the next five years. Jupiter Research, a Britain-based digital market research specialist, says that online porn watching will grow by nearly 42% in the next five years. The porn video hits will grow to $193 billion a year by 2020, from about $136 billion this year. According to the results, a smartphone user will view an average of 348 porn videos this year. That information is via India Today. The word of God says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. God's word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour. Now we're going to get into the uh, article, How to Spot a Legalist. And uh, this guy gives you, well, several, and you've picked out six ways that we can spot a liberal. Yeah. Uh, again, this guy's name is Greg Steyer on the Christian Post. And we appreciate Jim for responding to all those in Kentucky tonight. Yeah. He says, first of all, legalists cheapen grace by focusing on what we must do rather than on what Christ has done. Is that a fair act? Is that, is that a fair, uh, representation of our approach? In other words, uh, I, I'm, I'm willing to wear the badge of being a legalist. All right. If it means teaching strict adherence to the commands of the New Testament. Okay, you're willing to take that on. I'm willing to wear that badge. I think we're but, already designed up for that. But if I do that, does it necessarily mean that I'm focusing on what we must do rather than on what Christ has done? Is, is that a fair is that a fair representation? Or is actually is that a fair judgment of me? You know, or of anyone who teaches strict adherence are 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 we failing to to focus on what Christ has done? I don't think that's true at all. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about what Christ has done for us. And the fact of the matter is, we and we often teach, that if Christ hadn't done what he did in providing a sacrifice for our sins, we could, we could multiply our efforts and it all be in vain because it's impossible for us to earn our salvation through meritorious works. Galatians 2, verses 8 and 9 definitely teach that. We're not saying we're saved by meritorious works. 
We understand that our salvation hinges entirely upon the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. I think that's just uh, a cheap shot and uh, and perhaps knowingly false accusation. Yeah, you know, and maybe I'm reading the, the New Testament wrong, but after the Gospels, beginning in Acts, I see over and over what should be my response to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. My response to that, my my obligation uh, to as a result of Christ's sacrifice for my sins. Not that I'm, again, negating that or earning my salvation, but the Scriptures over and over again tell us of our response yeah, you got something you're looking for there. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, uh, uh, I was I was going to try to look up a verse here. I'm looking ahead at some of the things he said, but yeah, Titus chapter two verse eleven uh, ties uh, our response to God's grace. Again, we've looked at this passage before, but Titus chapter two verse eleven says the grace of God that has appeared to all men, teaching uh, us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So the great God, grace of God has appeared to all men, and it has taught us what our response should be, what we must do. Again, we're not uh, uh, failing to focus on what Christ has done, but God's grace has taught us what we must do, how we must respond. Are we cheapening God's grace by following the instructions that he's given us? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, So, again, I think that's unfair, inaccurate, Intentionally prejudicial. I mean, what what kind of handles do you want to put on that? Uh, Jim and Josh and, in the chat room has referenced Titus chapter two verse eleven through thirteen as well. All right. Uh, he says to teach that grace only is what saves us would cheapen what true grace is. Amen to that. And that is, it is a perversion of grace, uh, and it does cheapen grace to say it doesn't matter if you obey or not. God's yeah. grace will cover that. Well, well, you know, that's that's what Paul kind of said in, in, Romans, in Romans chapter, chapter six, 6, verse 1. Right. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So, you know, apparently so, there were so, some who were making the same kind of statements that this guy made back there in the New Testament yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim in, in uh, Kentucky simply stresses 1 Peter two twenty one. Here and two were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in step. We stress Christ and what he has done. I think that's obvious and for sure. And, I, again, I think it's pretty pretty cheap shot to say otherwise. Number two, here, here's this guy. He says, how to spot a legalist. They'll say nonsensical things like salvation is free, but it will cost you everything you have. Wow. Uh, uh, that brings to mind Luke 14, verse 26. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So he says that you're a legalist and you shouldn't say something like salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything you have. Well, it seems that Christ is saying the same, isn't he? It's going to cost you everything you have, Anthony. I mean, he's saying you've got to hate relatively speaking, your family and even your own life? Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, pretty outlandish accusation, but I, I think that's a great verse. I don't know that I would have thought of that, but it matches up perfectly. I mean, Jesus is saying, uh, yeah, that that is what you know might happen. It might come to that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 
Uh, I, I think the guy's way off base there with that accent. That, that's a fair. St- I mean, I think it's kind of a cl- cliche statement, you know. And it sounds good uh, on the it's, surface. It's, it's sort of trite, but and and you know, I, I typically don't like those kind of sort of catchy little phrases that people dream up. But I don't think it represents a falsehood. I think it's true now that not, we have to forsake all we have in order to be disciples of Christ. We're not buying or earning our salvation, but yeah. we've got to do it. Revelation right. 2, verse 10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of life. We've got to be faithful even if it costs us our life. Now, that's everything I've got. I don't know about uh, this guy, but uh, we've got to be willing to give everything that we have in order to be pleasing and faithful to God. All right. Jim uh, mentions Matthew nineteen twenty one. Jesus told the rich young ruler, if thou will be perfect, go sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. He told him to Jesus give up everything. Jesus was being a legalist. He told him to give up everything he had. All right. All right. We're going to have to move quickly here. Uh, third point. These legalists, according to this guy, you, you want to spot a legalist? He says, these legalists, they're fruit inspectors and hypothesize how much spiritual fruit a person must produce in order to be truly saved, in order to truly be saved. Again, I deny, as the guy said, I deny the allegation, I deny the alligator. That's not, <laughs> that's not true. Yeah. We, we don't say that. We, no, because that would imply that we think that if you reach a certain threshold, you have earned your salvation. Nobody teaches that. I don't know anybody that teaches that. And so this guy needs to do a little homework before he starts accusing people of things. He needs to check it out and know for sure that that's what's being taught. All right. Uh, uh, Jim says uh, he references John 15, verse 5, where we told we must bring forth fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And verse fifth, uh, verse eight of chapter fifteen of John: Herein my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so we do. We do want to bear fruit for the Lord. In fact, we must bear fruit for the Lord. But uh, this, he says, we're fruit inspectors, and that would imply I'm looking at you to see if you're bearing enough fruit instead of just concentrating on myself and whether I'm bearing fruit for the Lord. I, I don't think we do that, but. The main part of that statement that's just completely out of bounds is uh, how much we, we try to hypothesize how much spiritual fruit a person must produce in order to truly be saved. Well, I want to tell you, if we're if if that's how we're saved by bearing a certain quantity of fruit for the Lord, then none of us are going to make it because none right. of us can bear enough fruit right. to justify our salvation. Right. And so I just think that's a false statement. Now, those people would be, I would think, legalistic if they're setting a, a limit, an arbitrary limit. And I think that would be legalism, but that's not. What I don't, but again, I don't know anybody's doing I, that. Right, right. Number four. Here's here. OK, we're looking at, looking at some of these points. This guy's made how to identify a legalist, how to spot a legalist. Legalists focus on things like turning, trying and crying instead of faith alone in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. We we focus on turning, trying, and crying instead of faith alone in Christ. Uh, now, here he might be closer to 
Here you might be a little closer to actually well, describing it. We do, but we don't. Yeah, okay. Uh, turning, turning, turning sounds like repentance to me. Turning sounds like repentance. And, and a synonym, a, a synonym, turning and crying. So, sorrow, crying is God, a synonym for sorrow. Godly sorrow that leads to turning, repentance. Yeah, that. that, that I'm, I'm not objecting to that. That reminds me of what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten. Again, we're condemned for turning and crying, but Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter seven, "Now rejoice that you were made sorry." And that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, repentance is a turning. I was doing bad things. I'm turning away from them. Now I'm going to do good things. That indicates sorrow, repentance, and obedience to the instructions that God has given, turning, trying, and crying. I, I There's no problem there. Yeah. In fact... That would that would come closer to describing us than the idea of faith alone for salvation. Uh, we don't believe that faith alone in Christ alone is the way that we are saved. Jim doesn't either. He references James two seventeen and James two twenty four, where faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. You see how then that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. So yeah, that that one. He, he, if if that means you're a legalist, that he maybe have us. He may have us pinned there. I'm willing to accept that, and I'm not going to shy away from that. From that, and he he, for once, he maybe accurately described what we teach. Uh, but that's okay. We'll accept that then. Here's the next one. Legalists scare others with assertions that if you preach too much grace, people will run amok. Yeah, do you get that? In other words, don't teach grace, because if you talk about grace, of course, we identify grace as unmerited favor of God. If you teach a lot of grace, then people are just going to go out here and go wild. You know, they'll, they'll think that they don't have to be obedient. They don't have to be careful to, to follow the instructions of Scripture. If you preach grace, don't preach grace, because people will take advantage of that, and then they'll go crazy. Yeah. Well, there... There is the danger, and apparently Paul saw the danger of, of some who would take grace to that extreme... We already referenced Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? Apparently, there were some in Paul's day who were arguing that the grace of God would cover anything and everything that we do. And so that that is a, a concern. That's not to say that we shouldn't teach God's grace, though. No, it's not. And, but here's the, I would rephrase his statement. If we preach too much of this false concept of grace it will cause people to run amok yeah because and jim references titus 2 verses 11 and 12 again which the grace of god that appeareth, uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldliness we should live righteously soberly and godly in this present world if i teach that kind of grace grace the true grace of god it's going to demand that we line up with what god has told us to do that we obey him exactly right and we don't run amok real quick last one we got to go we're out of time Last one was a legalist will use phrases like, you mean to tell me? They use that a lot. And then they create worst case salvation scenarios of those who claim to be Christians but abuse the grace of God. You mean to tell me that a person can be saved and still do this, 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 and on they go. Um, Jim's yeah. answer to that, avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. Titus 3 verse 9. You know, uh, well, I do do that sometimes. You mean, so here's this person who teaches once saved, always saved. 
You mean to tell me that a man can be a murderer and an adulterer and uh, a thief uh, and still be saved and not be lost? I do do that sometimes. That's just that's just asking people to deal with the logical consequences of the positions they take. And, and we do do that sometimes. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. For those who say that we shouldn't be legalists or demand that we follow the instructions of the Bible, they would have to answer a passage like Revelation 21, verse 8. And I guess I can pre- preclude this with... You mean to tell me? Revelation 21, verse 8, but the, un, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. You mean to tell me they're going to go to hell? You mean to tell me, you mean that, to tell me that, that people who do those things will really go to hell? They, the, 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 those who want to call us legalists need to explain, are these people going to hell or not? And if they are... They're going to hell because they didn't follow God's instructions. Not because we said so. But because they didn't follow God's instructions. Exactly. And and if, if if they have to follow the instructions about sexual immorality and murder and sorcery and things like that, then what about the other instructions of God? Do those not have to be followed? You see, the, the claim that we're legalist, you can't, it's not logical. To, to apply that logically would mean that it doesn't matter what you do at all. You can do anything you want. There are no rules. And that simply can't be. Exactly right. Okay. Out of time. Anthony, thoughts? That was a good program. You know, I've I've been uh, remembering this, the commercial that we had from Mike Johnson about the legalism. So uh, when when I saw the topic today, it made me think about that. I don't know if we'd ever done a show on this term before. Oh. Long time ago, we did okay. near the very beginning of the virtual Bible study. We dealt with it, but not in this way. A little bit different approach. Yeah. Than previous program. All right. Well, good discussion tonight. Thanks for being here, Anthony. And thank you, Dad. Thanks. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you for being on the other end of the line again. If you disagree with us, as our listener has disagreed with us, and uh, sent us sure wish that he would have responded. We've been glad to talk with him about it, but we but, talked about it without him. Yeah, but if you disagree with us, we welcome your thoughts again. We got 10 years. Listen to all 10 years if you want, if you got that much time. But you'll never find a program where we've been ugly with people. And we don't want, we want to be ugly with people. Even the guy who was the cage fighting preacher, we never got ugly with well, him. You wouldn't want to get ugly with <laughs> him. Not... Um, but uh, we, we don't want to get ugly. We don't have a fight. We, but we do want to talk. If you disagree with us, let us know your thoughts. We can talk off air or on air. We want to hear from you. 877-381-4567. You want to talk? Questions at collegeview.com. If you want to type, we'd love to hear from you any way you want to get in touch with us at any time. We welcome your thoughts. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.